This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay are joined by Clint McVeigh, Mark Metzger, and Aaron Preston of the Chainsaw Kittens to revisit the 1992 album Tripped Out in Singapore. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I'm your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me once again, my co-host, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, we are charting new territory tonight, or this afternoon, actually. We're re- well, first of all, we're recording on a Saturday afternoon, which we've never done before. Uh, usually this is restricted to Tuesday evenings. We're making a special exception because we're doing... Possibly the first time in the history of Skype, a five-way call. I don't know if anybody's ever maxed out Skype's capabilities prior to this. I don't think so. I think we're pioneers when it comes to um, Skype usage. We've got on the phone, on three phones actually, from three different time zones. If I'm building this up as, as massively as possible. We've got from the band Chainsaw Kittens. Mr. Mark Metzger, Mr. Clint McBay, and Mr. Aaron Preston. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Um, how are you all doing? And please don't answer at once. Start, let's start, we'll start with alphabetically with Aaron. Aaron, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Doing great. It's really hot here in Oklahoma City. Excellent. Well, we feel your pain. We just had a massive heat wave come through central Ohio, so we, um, we understand. Clint, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm in L.A. and it's massively hot here too. I think that's everywhere. And Mark, uh, you're also in. So. You're also in uh, Oklahoma. Yes, I am, and we're doing good out here as well. Excellent. <laughs> well, hopefully, you guys won't get the violent wind and thunderstorms that just tore through uh, our state. Um, that just knocked out power to like a quarter million people and destroyed all our trees. Uh, oh, although no. it did. It did cool us down about thirty degrees in about a half hour, which was nice. But yeah, and you know that happens to us here in Oklahoma a lot. But I think we're past that now. It's just going to be a scorcher. No more rain for us. Like ever? Well, no. I mean, for the summer, it's oh, it's wow. uh, spring, springtime is definitely over. Oh <laughs> no! It rained enough here that it's going to get hot again, and then just be humid and miserable. So yeah, yeah. summer in Ohio is not good. No. That sucks. So we brought all of you guys onto the show to talk about the 1992 album Flipped Out in Singapore by Chainsaw Kittens. And I know it's been, you know, it's we're looking at 20 years now since this album was released. I know. Um, I don't remember what the hell I was doing. Well, I was graduating from high school. That's what I was doing 20 years ago. <laughs> I couldn't tell you what happened. Other than the pictures that I have, so I understand if there's going to be some um, some vague memories from that period, but <laughs> we'll do our best to, based on our internet research, to um, remember some things for you guys. Maybe it'll jog some some memories from that period. So probably the cool. best way to get into this is let's start with the history of the band. History of the band. Chainsaw Kittens formed in 1989 in. Norman, Oklahoma. Now, Mark, you played on the first record, correct? Yes. Were yeah, you? I was the original guitar player. Um, Tyson Mead was in a band called Defenestration that had just broken up. And myself and the other guys in the band, Kevin McElhaney and Ted Leader, we were still in high school. 
and that's when we started playing with Tyson that year. So that was the first lineup that was that was on that first album, and along Trent Bell, who subsequently played on Flipped Out in Singapore, uh, played on that album as well. And and then let's see, Ted and Kevin uh, left for for personal reasons. And Clint and Aaron came aboard uh, pretty close to the same time. Wasn't too far apart. Yeah. At, at what point? I know the first album came out on Mammoth Records, and at the in 1990 when this when the first record came out, Mammoth was only a year old record label. So how did you guys end up hooking up with them? Tyson Mead was really good friends with the people in Fetch and Bones, a band. Uh, I believe out of North or South Carolina, I can't remember. But South Carolina managed, wasn't. Yeah, um, they were managed by Jay Ferris, the the president of Mam- Mammoth, and Tyson's connections with Fetch and Bones because I believe he toured with them in Defenestration. They had kind of hooked us up with them, and that's how we got signed onto Mammoth. So were you guys working on the album independently and then the deal came together? Or were, was it like you signed the deal, they gave you an advance of some sort, and then you made the record? No, what had happened was we had pl- we had been together for uh, about six, eight months, and we really didn't play out a lot or do anything. We put a lot of energy into uh, a couple of videos and some demo tapes to try to shop around, so we did that, and that's really what got us going. Then uh, it's probably another six to eight months went by after we actually signed with them. And by today's standards, I, I don't know what it was. It might have been $6,000 to record the record or something. It was not much money at all. And uh, <laughs> it, it was just, yeah. We recorded it at the church studios, which is owned by a pretty big time guy around here from the tractors named Stephen Ripley. And uh, like I said, it was a rush deal. We did it in about a week. You said that uh, the original um, drummer and bass player left shortly after that. So this is for question for Clinton Aaron. Were you guys, did you guys know each other before you joined the band? Or did you join as basically a pair? Or did you come in separate? How did, how did that work? Well, I, I actually joined first. And uh, Kevin McElhaney played with, uh, I mean, I played with the original lineup, basically, with Trent Bell and, uh, and Kevin, Kevin McElhaney for, I, I don't know how long. It, uh, I mean, we did a couple of tours, and then Kevin left. And Clint and Mark have been best friends forever. And, uh, yeah, I've and known, Clint, yeah, I've known Mark since, like, ninth or 10th grade. <laughs> yeah, and Clint, Clint just hung him. around. Yeah, man, dude, Clint. Seriously, Clint, Clint just hung around all the time and, and was friends with everybody. And when, like, we didn't have a bass player, one night Mark was like, man, we ought to see if Clint will try out. Man, he, and, and I was like, wow, man, I didn't, I didn't even think Clint could play. And, uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, I know. It was sure enough, man, he came in and he knew that Mark taught him the songs. He came in and got the gig, man. And the next thing I know, we we're playing in Dallas. So Clint was basically Clint. lurking around, and and when the opportunity arose, he jumped at it and grabbed oh, a spot. Yeah. So Clint, were you a musician before that, or did you just did you basically learn to play for the band? I, honest to God, Mark taught me everything I know. I would sit around, and he would just show me things, and I, I literally would go, 
okay, what string and what dot are we on? I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing. <laughs> I really did. And, and I got really lucky. Just I have a, a group of friends that all happen to do well in music, and I always wanted to play music, but I wasn't very good at it. And literally, I just lucked into it. And I, I always say it. I, I, they, there was many, many, many better players than Norman than me. I know that for a fact. Yeah, but I'll tell you what. Click got good at it. You know what I mean? I mean, not only did he get good at bass, he got. Good, I mean, he's a better guitar player now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So then, all three of you guys left after. Or, or don't play on the next album. You, at some point between this album and then Pop Eris, all of you leave. What is? Was that all at one time that you left? Or I know that yeah. Clint and Aaron, you guys went on to for for Love Not Lisa. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. was it just a basically the whole band got blown up and Tyson and Trent wanted a whole new rhythm section and second guitar player or what? What exactly went down there? This all happened overseas. We were over in London one night, and I remember Mark said we were laying around in a hotel room. And Mark's like, "Yeah, I think I'm going to go back to school." I mean, I remember Mark saying that, and I was thinking, "God dang, man, that sounds like a good idea." And, and I know that's what I planned on doing too, uh, but I didn't. I mean, we just we all left the band. <laughs> we all left the band, and Mark went and got educated. Yeah. <laughs> At the time, it, it was getting kind of frustrating because we were playing with you know some of the bands that we were playing with were kind of taking off, and and, and you know we were kind of I, I felt this way. We were a little bit. You know, we weren't going in the direction of the Smashing Pumpkins or, or Nirvana or these all these bands that we had played with, like the, the Toadies or you know, whoever yeah. that were that were you know really taking off. And when you you see all this around you and you know these people and and they're getting these great deals happening for them, you know, good tours and stuff. And we we just kind of weren't really moving along. You know, I don't. I can't really attribute it to anything. It's and you know everybody in the band, especially when you have you know five guys in a band, and at that time in music there was so much going on with different types of bands. I think everybody kind of had an idea of what they wanted the band to be, and it you know unfortunately they they were all kind of different. So yeah, that's kind of I think that's that's a good analogy. Yeah, that's kind of the cause of all that. I I think, but yeah, Yeah. I you know I. It, it was kind of a strange deal because, you know, I'd always thought, you know, I'd I'd stick with it, but boy, I was the one that just got out of it right right then and there. Yeah. And Clinton, you know, Aaron went on to do great things with For Love Not Lisa. Yeah, yeah, but the best band me and Clint were ever in was, but well, prop, aside from the Chainsaw Kittens, was the Demon Thieves. I mean, we had a we had a good band going in the Demon Thieves, but it got screwed up. When were the Demon Seeds? Was that before this band or before Chainsaw no. Kittens? Or no, it's way after. after. Yeah. yeah. After, well, not Lisa. Yeah. We started the band. Me and Aaron and Terry Poole. I can't remember who all. Well, Vegas was in it, but yeah, there was Jeff a lot Gamble. Of and... that we, yeah, that we knew around Oklahoma City, and it, it was it was pretty fun. So. Is there it, any recorded material? Yeah, uh, there's no release yeah. material. There's a demo that we did with um, 
what's his name? Mr. Colson at Smart Studios mixed it for us, and uh, Mike Lewis played bass on it, and Aaron played on some of the drums, and then, but Jeff Riley played on some when because we did it in yeah. school. But it's it, it turned into what was called Dead Girlfriend because Demon Seeds was already taking our band in, in, in Texas. Yeah. yeah, nothing ever came of it. <laughs> yeah. But hey, man, we had we had fun. Clint and I played together for a lot of years. Well, yeah, yeah but between Chainsaw Kittens and then through For Love Not Lisa, that's a long time. Yeah. And then actually, so the first For Love Not Lisa album came out the same year as this album. Um, was that something you guys were doing at the same time, or did you have time in between the two records? How did that work out? You know, Aaron joined the band before I did. I went back to Alabama to, like, just chill. And, like, I worked in a factory for a summer, like, doing, like, <laughs> temporary wall for offices. I mean, I, I, I just gave up. And then one day, you know, I knew Aaron had moved to California and was playing with Jordan Lisa, and I get a call and to come to California. And I'm like, I'm on my way. And I got in the car the next day and headed out. But he was already doing stuff out there. He played on that first record, and I didn't. Okay. Yeah, it was what, yeah, what was that? It was a couple of years after that, after we, after no, we you, left Chainsaw. No, dude, you went out there quick. Uh, I guess I did, didn't I? I was at home for about a month. <laughs> I decided that's right. Yeah, I mean, I was gonna go. I was gonna go to school, man. I, man, what what Mark was talking about sounded really good, and uh, I just couldn't pull the trigger on it, man. Then I, I I wasn't in town long before I got a call from the For Love Not Lisa guys, and I got on a plane and went out there. And then about six months later. We need a bass player. I called Clint, and he was like, "Hell yeah, I'll be there." Yeah. And, so, and so uh, he got in his gay-looking little car and drove out there. <laughs> <laughs> little Volkswagen. Nice. I drove a Cabriolet. I'm sorry. Cabriolet. <laughs> Man, we drove by O.J. Simpson's house after he killed his wife with that Volkswagen Cabriolet, throwing out steak knives. <laughs> when they were looking, when they were looking for the murder weapon. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Good time, man. Man, we're not even talking about chainsaw kittens, man. We got to be talking about. That. Yeah, we got to get we got to get back on the on the, the yeah. topic here. So, just to clarify, so then, Clint, you, the first record you played on for "For Love Not Lisa" was "Merge," right? No, my first record was "Information." I I joined. Oh, "Information Super Driveway." Okay. Yeah, yeah, and Aaron played on both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I played on Mars and, and Information. Okay, so that takes us up to 92. All of you leave the band. Over the next two years, there or, th- or three years, um, 94 was when Pop Eris comes out, and then 96 is when the self-titled Chainsaw Kittens album comes out, and then last album is in 2000. That's the All-American. And then also within this time frame from 90 to 96 there's also a bunch of singles and eps that get released during that period that's all from yeah. wikipedia and allmusic.com oh, giving yeah. us all that information yeah, yeah, yeah. so let's talk about the record flipped out in singapore there's a couple of interesting aspects to this record a lot of interesting names associated with this record that both <laughs> in terms of the making of it and then around some other aspects of it. The first is obviously, the one we have to talk about is Butch Vig is credited as producer on the record. 
And I'm wondering if you could if you could guys talk about speci- specifically starting um, with you, Aaron, but I'd also like to get everybody's input. Butch is a drummer. He's kind of known for the drum sounds. And this album, I think, when Jay and I were listening to it, we were like, wow, there's some drum sounds that are very reminiscent of Gish and of Nevermind. Yeah, and, I think it was right after that, really. You know? Yeah. I, mean, I, I think recorded in the same room, <laughs> I, I believe, wasn't it? Was there anything that he was bringing that, in terms of his approach, whether it was the recording or was he saying... You know, I'm gonna mic you this way, or we're gonna we're gonna set up the drums this way. What was he doing that you remember that gives him well, that sort of unique sound? Well, I tell you what. I mean, he 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 did everything. I mean, I was I was a scared 20 year old. I mean, I was uh, whenever I, uh, I I mean, really, it was it was all a dream for me, and, and it became reality whenever he opened the front door to the studio. I was like, hey guys, you know. And uh, and uh, I was like, oh my god, I'm in a recording studio making a record. I mean, because I'd never done it. And and uh, Butch kind of had to calm me down a couple of times because I was, you know, I was a little twisted. I think he figured out if he got a couple of beers in me, I played better, or I <laughs> at least it, at least behaved better. You know, it was uh, I don't know. I've never enjoyed a recording studio once in my life, so. I'll say that. <laughs> There's nothing fun about it to me. How did you guys hook up with him in the first place? He had just been a a, a, a fan of the, the the first album we did. Um, he always said he was a kind of a sucker for, you know, hooky pop songs, which, you know, a lot of that first album had, had a lot of that, that in it. And he approached Mammoth about possibly doing the records. But at, also at the time... I mean, this was literally, we went into the studio just as Nevermind came out and Gish had been out for a little bit, but Smashing Pumpkins had not really taken off at that point. Nirvana certainly hadn't. I remember being in the studio when we saw Smells Like Teen Spirit video for the first time. So Yeah, uh, and I remember Bush coming in. He wasn't a super big name at that point. He was... That kind of everybody knew who he was because of what he was doing, but it wasn't like you know a few years later when he got to pick whoever he was doing. Everybody was working with him, Sonic Youth and all these other bands. Um, he kind of just chose us, and luckily, you know, I mean, it was we were so lucky to have had him do that record because I know for a fact that he basically made zero money off of us because we only had two yeah. weeks to record that album in. We, I can't put the number on the money, but it was not much at all, maybe twenty five, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 to do it. And I know he put in a lot of extra effort, a lot of late nights to get that done. But like I said, you know, the, the drum sound, you got to give credit to Aaron because we could have been really lost had Aaron not gone in there and performed as well as he did. Because like I said, oh, only shit. having two weeks to do that, it, it was pretty amazing. We were all lucky because we were just, young kids that you know had had recorded before but you know that was a real producer we were working with so that was yeah we were lucky it set in when butch came in one morning and was like well never mind it or it smells like teen spirits number one on the billboard charts like 
it went that song that he recorded went number one one of the weeks when we were there and that i mean you know that was an exciting time for him i'm sure i mean well it was it was for all of us and and, and if i'm not mistaken the pumpkins actually came by the studio one time and gave us a pet talk no. didn't they no they, they did because we went to see them that night with chili peppers yeah that's right that's right yeah, I mean, yep. at the time, that was that show was the Red Hot Chili Peppers with the the opening band before the Smashing Bumpkins was Pearl Jam. Yeah, <laughs> Pearl Jam was the first band on the bill. Wow. That is I mean, so that, crazy. That's, how, that's when that was. So it was kind of yeah. a weird, you know. It was that time was really, you know, a lot was brewing with that kind of music, and it was it was really cool. So did you guys yeah. kind of uh, expectations shift from when you entered the studio to when sort of Nirvana ex- or the Nevermind exploded? Was there like a it, sort of your expectations of uh, what the span was going to become change at all? I, I honestly don't think so. I think we were just flying by the seat of our pants. Yeah. Um, yeah. Do you guys remember like it was a couple weeks before? I mean, literally, maybe four weeks before we went to record this record, we didn't even have a demo tape for our record company, and we had to go, and yeah. we were rushing to write songs, because we did a demo tape, and it was only like 27 minutes worth of music, <laughs> and they were like, yeah. guys, you got to have a full record if you're going to go record out here, so we didn't know what we were doing, we were just doing the best that we could, Butch was trying yeah. to get it done as fast as he could, because, you know, he didn't... If you listen to the record, you can tell which tracks are really concentrated on, and some were just kind of just recorded. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree with that completely. In fact, I, I listened to the record for the first time in 15 years the other night, and uh, I mean, I'm actually I'm actually pretty proud of that record. I mean, there's a you know a lot of stuff I could have done different, but you know what? Man, I mean, Mark came in. Once Mark laid down his guitar tracks, things kind of started sounding good. I mean, man, dude, we didn't we didn't know these songs for more than a month before we went up there. You know what I mean? We, yeah. Our our songwriting we process wasn't that sophisticated. <laughs> no, it wasn't, and we weren't like crazy rehearsers. Rehearsers, you know, like we would practice for a couple of hours three o'clock in the morning occasionally like we were sharing a rehearsal space with for love and Lisa at the time they were still in Oklahoma mm-hmm. so at some sometimes they didn't have a drummer sometimes I was actually practicing with the kittens and then staying and practicing with them when we were done <laughs> it kind of sucked actually <laughs> <laughs> when you went into the studio did you basically just have the 11 songs for the record? Were you the type of band that wrote, basically we're going to write the 10 or 11 songs and they were in? Or did you write a lot of material, that, like maybe like half-finished songs, and then said, this one's going somewhere, let's let's finish this one? Or What was the songwriting process like for you guys? I don't remember. I think we had 12 songs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think, I think I maybe there was... We couldn't get the timing right, so we had to ditch it because we didn't have time. <laughs> and remember when we had to do... We did that song for Hellraiser 3. We got the offer to do it, and we didn't have a song. We had to go write a song, yeah. and we locked ourselves in a room. In the studio. It was pretty painful. Yeah, it was pretty painful there. Yeah, that you know, was stressful. I, I, talked, I talked to Ralph Saul not too long ago, 
and he remembers that recording session when we did that song. Because you remember him and his, his uh, engineer got in that huge fight? Yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah that still, was evil. He still says that's one of the worst recording sessions of his life was the Chainsaw Kitten. Because he got in that fight with <laughs> Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Hey, man, we didn't, we didn't break anything. We, did, we were no, pretty polite. You know oh. what it was? I remember, I remember exactly what uh, Mark had written this part on the guitar, and I wasn't good enough to play it on the bass, so I played a different part over it, and, and I thought it fit, and the engineers thought it fit, so Ralph didn't think it fit, and then they got in a fight over it. I was like, I was like it has to fit, because I can't play what Mark's playing. That's how pitiful <laughs> I was. <yeah. laughs> Uh, I remember hearing hearing the the lyrics to that song recorded for the first time when he's talking about rolling around in a pool of semen. I was like, <laughs> "Holy God, my dad's going to hear this." <laughs> <laughs> That's actually a good segue into um, some of the lyrics on this record. Uh, uh-huh. Jay and I noticed um, the pool of semen is a good segue. Well, yeah, actually. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay, that's a, that's a show first. There's um. Sorry there, about I, that, I don't know that there's a. That's <laughs> okay. We're not we're not ruled by or uh, overseen by the FCC, so we're free to do whatever we want. Um. Oh, good, good, good. So Jay and I, when we were, you know, going through some of the lyrics and whatnot, um, not that this is a concept record, but there's definitely a lot of references to uh, drugs. Um, high in high school would probably be one of them. Uh, yeah. I think flipped out in Singapore. Uh, track three, second theme, flipped out in Singapore, makes some references. I guess mm-hmm. you could make some references in in um, my friend Delirium, some other ones, um, and then there's also some references not just on this record, but um, on other ones, pop eras to um, Asian uh, countries. Singapore obviously is in the title of the album, and then in pop eras there's a reference to China. Um, yeah. Do you guys? I know you guys weren't. I, I don't. Why? Well, actually, I don't. Were, were you guys involved at all in? What was going on with in terms of lyric writing, or was that all a mystery to you? And it was basically like, 
whatever was being written you were hearing once it was being recorded. What was the uh, structure for that? Well, Tyson wrote the words, man. I mean, that was, you know, yeah, and, yeah. and he wrote he wrote a lot of the the beginnings of the songs. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so like I mean, we had a few, a few songs that Mark and Kevin and I in the beginning would jam out, you know, just kind of jam and that became into stuff, I believe. And then when Clint came along, we we probably jammed even more. And so I think we we came up with some basic concepts. But Tyson brought a lot of those, like to the band. Like you know, he'd pick up the guitar and say, uh, "Kind of goes like this." Am I right? Like as far as like said lyrical themes or you know references or anything, all, all that was uh, Tyson stuff. Um, yeah. I never honestly really ever paid attention to it. Uh, I, but I'm more that way in general about music. I, I generally don't listen to what the singer's saying, to be honest with you. So that, that's probably yeah. why I never even noticed most of that. And, you know, as far as, like, the themes, I have, we have no idea where those came from or anything. Yeah, okay. Tyson must have something it, for, you know, he lives in China now, so... Right. Uh, that's obviously he has some affinity for being over there. So when you guys were practicing, could you hear what he was singing, or was that all? Once you got in the studio, you're like, oh, that's what that lyric is. So I'd imagine that, especially on some of his well, vocal parts, they're a little bit. Um, I can imagine him playing around with phrases and words, and not really mo- working more on melody. Um, yeah, to give you an idea of what we didn't know. I can remember we at practice one night and we were playing a song and Tyson's singing over it. And after it, Trent goes, Hey, dude, are you saying you want to fuck with a gun? Because we had no idea. And he's like, Yeah, yeah. I mean, so we literally would be playing songs and I think not really know what's going on lyrically and not even yeah. like Mark said, paying attention until something caught your ear like, Oh, yeah, fuck with a gun. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. One of the things I read, which was from a Spin Magazine article back in 91, is that they called you guys, at the time, a combination of the New York Dolls and the Smiths and the Devil. I don't know if you've ever heard that <laughs> quote before. I kind of hear it some occasionally in, there's some a little bit of Morrissey in some of the vocals from here and there, from, from some of the songs. Um, like track nine, Hold, there's a little bit of delay on the vocal, and there is kind of a Morrissey element. And there was 
somewhat of a glam element to the early part of the band. But when I watched the video for High in High School, you guys didn't look yeah. real glammy. So where did that come from in terms of, was that something that was just on the first record? Or were you guys, when you guys were playing live, were you going for like a glam New York Dolls look? Uh, the early part of the band, we were, we were just trying to be as, as shocking as possible. You know, being here in Oklahoma, a band that looked like that brought a lot of attention. So that was really where it kind of came from. And, you know, as, as time goes on, you get kind of lumped into that, uh, you know, glam band thing. It's all shtick. And, and so we kind of wanted to gravitate a little ways from that. But, but yeah. you know, the, the, the influences, there's a big, there's a, not a big, I say, but Tyson was, when we started, he was about 10 years older than all of us. And our musical genre, we weren't into the New York Dolls, really. We came from more of a, the first, you know, wild bands that we saw were Motley Crue or, you know, Kiss. And, and uh, that the, some of the, the pop type, you know, you know, Slade or whoever, uh, sweet or you know bands like that we weren't really you know into that it was a different thing that where we were coming from i mean i i was totally different one of my favorite bands of all time was generation x i always i always thought the way i wrote music and played guitar was more in line with something like that than you know yeah more the, punky the more more something. pop yeah. generation x is a great uh, man a great band god well this album i think uh it, it, there's a huge difference, I think, between the first one and the second one in terms of this does get bigger sounding. And I think musically you can hear some of the influences that I think the three of you probably had. And I think what's interesting is that we sort of read a quote, I think it was on maybe on Wikipedia from Tyson, that he was didn't really like a lot of the 80s music. And, and it was almost like this album starts to sound like you know, big guitars. There's some elements to it that almost get to like an arena rock type sound in terms of some of the, you know, guitar riffs and drum sounds. And, you know, based on the quote that we read, he probably wasn't a big fan of that. So was there any like conflict as the, this album kind of came together or discussion about, Hey, you know, we're sounding too much like a hard rock band or, you know, was he trying to keep an edge that was a little bit more, I guess, art artistic or was there any discussion around that kind of thing? You know, there really wasn't at the time. That's just kind of the way we evolved. And I think, but we were also a product of that time. And I think we were seeing bands and, like I said, everybody was wanting to go their ways. And, you know, it, it was very important for us to, or at least some of us, to be a pretty heavy band. That's what we wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, I, I think, you know, Tyson... I don't know if, you know, on either the first or second record, he, I don't know if he really got the sound he was looking for on either of them. Because talking with him later, you know, in hindsight, you kind of, I kind of have a better feel of maybe what he wanted to sound like, which would have been a, more of an early cheap trick or, you know, yeah, maybe a little more stripped down and not so much in your face rock. So, yeah, that's exactly but what I, 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 I don't know to. for you know, a fact, but I, I kind of think that that's, you know, what he would have, he would have thought about it. So he just kind of went with oh. it because that was his band and, but it wasn't. Well, it, I think it, everything just turned out by accident, like I said, yeah. because 
we were so pressed for time. The guitar sound I was after was just this this massive fuzz tone that you know was completely indistinguishable, almost like a synthesizer. Just and, <laughs> and that's what I thought was cool at the time. So I, I go back Man. and listen to it, and I think sometimes I go, "Oh my God, what was I doing?" Mark, Mark, back in in a in a you know a window of a you know a twenty year old kid's mind and you know how you play and you know you know to me <laughs> I look back at myself and I go geez that was pretty atrocious but well to speak, dude you brought that's up- a joke man Mark Mesker is a wicked ass guitar player well yeah, well you can hear it on the record amazing well no no you should hear him now he, oh. yeah exactly <laughs> he he goes <laughs> off and you're like you're like. Okay, Jakey Lee, what the hell's going on here? Fucking George Lance. <laughs> yeah. Badass. I mean, I don't Dude. know what kind of band he was playing because it, it's not around anymore, but he's fucking wicked 80s. Like, he can play that shit. Like, oh. Dude, <laughs> Mark, and I need, Mark and I need to start a metal band is what we need to do. Exactly. That, that, that's probably where I'd end up if I was playing again today. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's nothing better than metal. Yeah, I, I love it. You get no argument here. As far here. as the sound... Yeah, as far as the sound of the record goes, I'll give you guys another thing. I got my whole bass sound from Butch Vig, and I used it every night for the rest of the tool I bought. And then I put little marks. You put little marks on my amp where where I, this is where your mid should be. It's and that was just for the studio. It sounded like ass in a big place, but I didn't care. That's where Butch put it. That's how bad. How piss poor of a player I was at this time of my life. Look. Well, you just started well, Mark, playing, and next thing you know, you're in the seat with Butch Vig, right? I mean, you just yeah, picked yeah. up an instrument. No, I mean, that guy saved me. I mean, literally, he would go, what what note are you playing? Oh, no, we'd play a song, and he'd go, what do you think? And I'd go, sounds pretty good. And he's like, I think we can do it a lot better. And then he would go, what, <laughs> yeah. what note are you playing here? He'd go, what note are you playing here? I'd go, this dot right here. And he goes, you just play that dot. And he would punch me, and I bet on that bass track of that record, there's a thousand punch-ins. I was but he saved oh. me and he was wow. awesome I mean I would never say anything but we worked with Steve Hagler when um, me and Aaron uh, and for one like this he was great but I knew how to play by that point which yeah. made me sound like I knew what I was doing and he was awesome bottom line he, he was yeah. awesome yeah you have no idea when you listen to the record I mean the parts sound you know yeah, perfect. There's for all, I, for all I know, for, yeah, for all I know, Mark came back in at night and played it because I. Then <laughs> <laughs> Mark had an amp that only had one knob, I believe, wasn't it? That, it, and it wasn't yeah, that's even correct. It actually only had one knob that worked. It looked like it, an old that, television knob. <laughs> it was what he fucking played through, man. And I mean. It was amazing though. Mark got a sound out of that thing, man. And he, like a two twelve cabinet stacked with something else. I can't remember, but I mean, you know, a piece of shit looking rig. And then when he would hit it and hit the pedal, it got you. Well, on on yeah. on she gets, we noticed that uh, that was a song that sort of had a pumpkins feel. We felt, and I think what's interesting is you bit. guys you guys brought up that band and just you know reading your history. Um, we saw several references that, you know, Billy Corgan has not been shy about saying that he was not only a fan of Tyson and Tyson's earlier band, but he was a fan of this band. And he just talk a little bit about, you know, what was the relationship between the two bands? And um, obviously, you know, they were 
I don't know if it was your guitar tone, Mark, or your uh, Tyson songwriting style, but there was definitely some things that they were hearing that you guys were doing that maybe they, um, you know, borrowed <laughs> or were inspired by. <laughs> well, it had to be coincidence because we were around the same time. It wasn't like we were listening to that records all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, we were we were we were big fans of them, and I think they were pretty big fans of ours. So it kind of went back and forth. I, yeah, I believe so. I don't know. I don't know, Mark. I, uh, Mark, what do you? Well, I, the Smashing Pumpkins were. I mean, we we were fortunate enough to tour with them, and the musicianship in that band was just so far beyond what you know we were doing. We even thought about ever being and so you know their sound kind of you know the thicker sound on on their their Siamese Dream album I think was more you know kind of like what you're saying but they god they're so good I mean that's that that's one I just thought to myself wow I don't think I could ever be as I don't know broad as those good they're just so dynamic and such great musicians just kind of seeing them up close like that makes you want to give up because they're just so good. You know? Dude, it almost, it, Mark's right, it almost has the opposite effect in a way. Like when you, like when you, when you get to watch them sound check every day for a couple of weeks, like, uh, uh, it's pretty depressing for a drummer to have to watch Jimmy Chamberlain do what he did. You know what I mean? Right, absolutely. And, 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 and then, a little kid like me get up there and try to, you know, just, I mean, I'm a basher. That's all I am. I, I just try to bash them hard. And, mm-hmm. you know, Jimmy's a drummer. I mean, a highly skilled percussionist, actually. He's out of, he's, he's out of his fucking mind, but he's. <laughs> well, that's the price you pay. Yeah. Is it, is it you're out yeah. of your mind, but you can be, you know. One of the names, I, I got to bring this up because this is another name associated with this record that I mentioned earlier. Howie Weinberg is responsible for mastering the record. And I think that that's an aspect of making albums that a lot of people, they hear that an album is mastered, but they don't really have any idea like what that really means or what what's involved in that. So I wonder if you guys could talk a little bit. Howie Weinberg has a huge resume. I mean, he's worked with Aerosmith and Dream Theater and Soundgarden, Ramones. I mean, it's a mile long. Is that, Did you guys get to pick working with Howie Weinberg or does is that the label just says your album's going to be mastered by Howie Weinberg or how does that work exactly when you're picking a master? I believe in, in that you case it was between Butch and the label. Talking about. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't even know yeah. who you were talking about. <laughs> yeah, I have no I have no clue. I mean, I know the name, but I didn't realize that he had ever done anything for us. Yeah. But that that's cool. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think that that tells you it right there. We did how aware we were of what was going on at the time, you know. Yeah, we had heard of him, and I remember a conversation about it. You know, somebody, and at the time, not even thinking about it, I was like, oh, because we didn't see that, we weren't involved in that process. You know, there was there was just a lot of things being done for us that we just didn't know were going on. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. So was Butch yeah. involved in that decision, probably? I believe he was. Yeah. Like I said, I believe it was Butch and the record label. And just to kind of, you know, some of the business stuff that 
kind of can be boring, but I think some of it's interesting. Does does Butch Vig get involved with you guys basically on the potential of the record? Does he just you know, you said you only had like five or six thousand to make the record. Does he just think, well, I'll take some points on the back end and this if this band's big, then I'll be good and I'll make it as fast as I can? Is that kind of the philosophy he has it going into doing a record for a band that's, you know, young and just starting? Like I said, at the time, I don't, I don't know if he even might have thought of that because you'd have to go back and listen to some of his interviews on what happened when he recorded Nirvana because he didn't, you know, points I don't think he even got at the time because the record label was like, who's this guy? And oh you know, yeah, yeah, we were just something, you know. I think honestly, he just wanted to do it. You know, I mean, he might have thought that yeah, this band's going to be big but I, I don't really see how because I mean did he think Nirvana was going to be as massive as they were when that album came out he probably had mm-hmm. no idea I mean yeah. your bets at the time would have been no that that's not going to be the next super group but yeah but you know Interesting. yeah and he he didn't have the discography at that time that he did I mean basically you know he does Gish and Nirvana in 91 and before that he's doing like he did an Urge Overkill album yeah, he did like some killdozer. Yeah. yeah, there wasn't anything on Bad. there that like would drive you towards thinking, "Oh, this guy's going to be the the producer du jour of the next uh, generation." So it was kind. Yeah, I, I, I could see he did a lot that, of what he did out of the kindness of his heart, and we were very lucky for that. Yes, very much. One very of the much. other names um, that comes up, and this is sort of tangentially connected to the album, is uh, the video for High in High School which was directed by Spike Jones. Now, everybody knows Spike Jones now from... He's made movies like Being John Malkovich and Adaptation and made a ton of music videos, but this was his first music video, I believe. So how did you guys end up working with him? Brad Beasley, I believe. I think Bradley Beasley. I, man, I think. I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know. But I <laughs> it know. It was just yeah, another one of these things that kind of landed on our lap. It was. Yeah. Spike showed up into town and he was staying with Tyson and he was sick as a dog the whole time. You know, he had a cold when he was here. But man, he was a cool dude. In fact, you know, hung out with him a couple of times after that in L.A. years, years later. He's a really, really cool guy, down to earth. So you guys weren't like, like looking at video packages and saying we want to work with that director, or because Phil Harder did the other video for um, uh, County I Found the Door, and he had worked with like Big Black and Afghan Wigs and Soul Asylum prior to this. So you guys didn't yeah. like look at reels or anything like that and say well, that's that's who we want to work with. 
I don't, I don't think so. I think most of this stuff was basically more through a record company. And if anybody was, it was probably Tyson looking at, you know, that. But I just remember these things, the way they happened, because we had a, we were on tour, and then all of a sudden in the middle of your tour, you, you, you're diverted somewhere in, in the freezing cold. That, that was real snow in that video. And yeah. you just go <laughs> shoot a video with some guy. You didn't know who he was. I mean, I yeah. I don't think any of us really yeah. knew. No. Man, we were in Wisconsin, and it was 75 degrees and beautiful, and we planned out this beautiful video shoot for the next day, and we're drinking beer in the hotel that night, and somebody went to the window and was like, holy shit, it's snowing. And, and I, dude, it snowed a, a ton that night, and so it kind of screwed our video plans up. We got stuck in that little shack. I mean, didn't we have other stuff we were going to do? Didn't we drive remember. drive out? I think you we drove really out to the scene. think of these guys doing these as being real big-time, you know, people. They showed up, Spike Jones showed up by himself and had yeah. a little camera. And you're just like, oh. It wasn't like a big production of, or of any kind. I don't remember any lights no. being coated around or doing hardly anything. And when we did it in that farmhouse for Connie, I found the door. There was only two guys shooting that. It was like, yeah. it didn't look much more than a VHS handy cam they were using to shoot these videos. Yeah. So we just didn't know. I mean, let me it, tell you something. That was fucking was amazing. Cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We just had no clue. <laughs> Whose car is that in the high in high school? The, the Dodge. Uh, Isn't that Wampus's? Uh, that muscle his car? His name's Rich Smart, I believe. He was from Norman. Had that Super oh, okay. B. Yeah, it was a Super yeah, B. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was a nice car. Yeah, uh, yeah it was. <laughs> <laughs> so when when you guys shot the video for High End High School, was that an actual show that you were playing at, or was that one of the like staged, you got some friends in a club and you're playing to a synced... Um, no, that was, that no. Was no, that was a show. That was okay. a show. Yeah, it, it was yeah. half and half. Do you, you guys don't remember having yeah. to act part of it out? <laughs> no. Oh, no, I, I don't. I know we did. We did. Uh, we may have. We may have. I know. I know a girl. I know a girl got her neck broken in the front that night. You know what I mean? Somebody dived off the top of the speaker. Yeah. I believe so. I remember, I remember the girl got hurt, but I don't remember what show. We, we, when we played I mean, Norman, it was kind of crazy. Yeah. So, I mean, there'd be a thousand people packed into, packed into a small place, you know. This is something we don't often get to ask. Um, but the album artwork, first of all, is the woman holding a knife? Because I can't tell from my digital download of the yeah. album. Okay, yeah, so it, it, it kind of looks like an almost it could be a movie poster and it did oh, was that was that the intention was to go cinematic ah i don't know did you guys have any, any uh, input was this like the music video and the and the other and howie weinberg read? <laughs> yeah, it really was. Uh, i still see her around town she has kids that are of legal age now they can drink <laughs> the artwork tyson has it was mostly his stuff. We just kind of were content with sitting back and letting all that 
happened. Uh, the, the artwork on the first record was a, a painting that he did. Um, the second one, uh, I don't know how you know involved he was, but there were some some designers at the record label he worked with uh, on doing that. But like I said, most of the rest of us, we just kind of stayed out of that part of it. Since you guys left, how, how much touring did you actually get to do for this record? I know you, you mentioned doing some touring prior to the album uh, coming out, right after uh, the original, like, after Mark joined, he said he did some touring, and then um, Aaron, you did, and then brought in Clint. So did you guys get to do, like, if you broke up, well, not broke up, but Mark, I guess, when you guys were in London, said he wanted to go back to school. How far after yeah. the album actually coming out was that? It was close to a year. I mean, yeah, yeah. It was fairly long, and like some of our tours were just disastrous. I mean, the bands that they put us with just were not gonna. Yeah, I mean, it, we one tour we got involved with was KMFDM, and it just what was not a good oh, yeah. And they just kind of tossed yeah. us off, and that was part of the frustration. Is just the subsequent tours, you know. We kind of got to a plateau, and then it kind of sat there, and nothing else was happening. And we were playing, we were opening for bands that just didn't make any sense for us. Uh, This wasn't our sort of target audience, I guess. In hindsight, who would have been a good match for you guys to tour with then? Uh, I have Nirvana. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Well, okay. Yeah, I'll take that I, one. I can hear that. Uh, well, I one mean, band that I, I was when Jay and I were talking about, you know, bands that had the influences that this band in more in retrospect than probably when we heard it at the time. One of the bands that Jay and I both thought would have been a great like touring partner would be either Malfunction, Andy Wood's band, and then his later band Mother Love Bone. Obviously, that wouldn't have happened because he had passed away. He, by this yeah, point. he was already gone. But were you guys aware of Malfunction or Mother Love Bone when they were around? Because they kind of have a similar vibe to what was going on with uh, Chainsaw Kittens. Yeah, I was. Uh, yeah, I mean, def- we, definitely Mother Love Bone. I didn't know Malfunction, yeah. but we all listened to those, the Mother Love Bone. Actually, we, we were all big, Green River before that. So. Right. Yeah, yeah. We were all okay. big dinosaur fans, too. And, like, mm-hmm. at the time, I remember Jay Mask is kind of, had my mind blown. Uh, he's still blowing minds. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think he's, so, I think he's blowing his own. <laughs> so what, Sorry, man, I'm kind of stoned. No, that's okay. <laughs> In terms of touring, um, besides KMFDM, which sounds like probably the most, I don't know, illogical pairing of um Dude, that was bands. miserable. That band How, made us want to kill them. How long were you on a tour with them? Uh, not very long. Weeks or so. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, just, it just seems like a completely different setup and crowd, and like that, like they're. I don't know. I just, just it just doesn't like whoever was in charge of that had clearly not heard one of the two bands. It was just like throwing yeah. two names together and seeing if they stuck because well, that doesn't make any yeah. sense. At the time, they, we, they, we were pretty vocal about it being such a mismatch. And plus, it's yeah. just our management and our record label were like, they just didn't see it. And, you know, 
I, it's, it's when you get to that, that part of it where you're dealing with people that are only the business end of it, and they just say, well, this is an alternative band. You guys are an alternative band. Go play with them, you know? And they yeah. say, well, <laughs> you don't have any idea what you're talking about. This is, this is completely different music. And, you know, yeah. the other band, which was great, and, but still, I don't know what it did us, was like Public Image Limited. Everybody's there to, oh, let's go see John Lydon, you know, and they, it was frustrating. But you know what, though, man? We kind of learned how to how to handle that in a way by the end of that Public Image Limited thing. I mean, we would go yeah, on stage and play. Catch you on stage. <laughs> Yeah, man, but we'd go towards the end. We would go up, turn up as loud as we could, and play without any fucking time in between any songs. And by the time the set was over, you know, we started kind of getting a response. I mean, we never gave the crowd a chance to <laughs> to like us or hate us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it was it was kind of fighting for our lives. It's like, man, let's go out here and do this. And you know, towards that, the end, I think it kind of worked the fun out. Out of it, you know, yeah. that wasn't fun. It was supposed no. to be fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Mark's right. I mean, I remember the sick feeling in my stomach. Like, once I realized, you know, man, this, this really kind of isn't working out. I mean, that KMFDM thing was a low point. You know, we, we uh, I mean, they, they were accusing us of doing shit. Like, I guess Clint was, or somebody supposedly went on their tour bus and stole Booze. I mean, that was their reason for kicking us off. I Clint, personally care to comment Clint. on that. No, I did not. Yeah, do that. I did jump out. I did jump out into the hallway with a curtain rod, and like I thought it was one of Aaron or somebody coming, and I was <laughs> jumping out to like scare him. And I, it was what was the guy's name? Tasha or Tasha or some shit. Stop, stop the main shot. guy. Yeah, yeah. The His name was Tasha. And it pissed him off because I jumped out there and I was like, yeah. I ain't another shit. Yeah. But I didn't, Clint I tried didn't to samurai. He tried to samurai sword him with a piece of rebar or something. It was, <laughs> and I guess I guess he was offended by it. I don't I know why. They, yeah. I thought they would be into that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, they're running like German a... pussies. <laughs> they're German pussies, man. They're Gunther, Gunther, their guitar player, was standing at the urinal taking a piss practicing arpeggios with his with his flying <laughs> V guitar like with headphones on. That's all I'm gonna say. Gunta. My name is Gunta. And this is Sasha. Yeah, they were dumb. They were dumb. Hey, but years years later and for love not Lisa, I got a chance to get back at their asshole roadie. Because he was on road, on on tour with Clutch, and uh, I, you know, he he was a dick. Oh man, that was horrible. Sorry. No, that's okay. No, no, keep going. What what yes. what'd you, what did what did you do? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I just cornered him in, in in New York City. We were playing at the Limelight, and he was in our dressing room. I was like, "Look, you little sideways ponytail wearing motherfucker." Because he, <laughs> you remember that guy, Clint? Yes. <laughs> you remember him? Uh, yeah, his name was Rat. His name was Rat or something like that. Of course, Rat he's or, a roadie. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he was kind of. He acted like a Nazi. I think. I think he got that from KMFDM. <laughs> <laughs> 
All I'm right. Sorry, man. Well, no, I'm no, that's okay. We, we can slander. That's okay. We can get into the, yeah. uh, into the, um, actually, this is a good point to, um, kind of do a, a wrap up on the, on the whole album as a whole. You, Aaron, you mentioned that you had listened to it recently. Um, I'm curious if Clint or Mark, if you guys have listened to it recently and what your impressions 20 years after are. Because I, I know that Jay and I, listening to the band now as opposed to back then, I think the having time go past, you kind of hear a little bit different influences than what you're probably when you're younger. And I'm wondering if you guys hear different things now, if you've gone back and re- listened to it recently. Um, you know, I have listened to it not too long ago just on Spotify so I can make like four cents and uh, <laughs> you know it's, it's, it's you know it's not a bad record I, it's, I think you know Mark sounds awesome on it and Aaron's always That's been what great I thought, too. Uh, yeah but as far as like do I listen to it constantly or do I even tell my friends that you know, like I meet now like, I don't tell them to really check it out I don't guess it's not that it's bad it's just so long ago I think it's just kind of out of your your consciousness most of the time. I, I think the way I look at it is like, you know, I've I've always played and you know guitar and taking music pretty seriously, even though I haven't been active in it since that time. And I always look back and just go, oh, you know, that was really my one shot at, at, at doing something. And. Had I tried to take it more seriously at the time, that's kind of where I kick myself is there's things I could have done better or sounded better or tried harder or that's kind of what you look back. I think what my problem was, and I think it was probably all of our we were just kind of lazy kids and we we just yeah. did enough to, to to kind of get by. It was we were having a blast and it was a lot of fun, <laughs> but. It's almost like that stuff, making records, that was the last part we were thinking about. We were thinking about being cool and being in a band and, <laughs> and things like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, it's, to be honest, it's I don't hard know, to I'm get sure in the guys, mind of a 20-year-old. Yeah, I mean, you guys yeah. have probably seen a lot of shows. I can give you a, an example of a Chainsaw Kitten show. Um, four or five drunk guys, really drunk. One guy throwing up on stage yeah. and he screams too loud. Uh, yeah. The song's falling apart in the middle and we're thinking it's hilarious. And you're like, just stop. <laughs> and Aaron clicking off oh, the best song story ever. We play South by Southwest. Play South by Southwest. Um, Aaron's clicking off the song. He's going one, two, three, four. A guy in the front row goes one, two, three, four real fast. Two of us start with the guy in the front row and two of us start with Aaron. <laughs> Okay, and this this is this is the real deal, and then and then you hear this loud crash, and you look, and Mark's falling down off the stage, and we're having the best time. But professional is not the word. No. And that when you play with no. you play with the pumpkins, and you see how professional and how mad they would get at each other when they mess up. We didn't do that, and maybe no, we, that's no. what we needed to do. But we thought it was just the funniest thing in the world if something happened that you know the symbol falls over and the song falls apart. Like that was awesome. Dude, Clint just nailed it. I mean, we 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 were having a really really good time. Probably not working near as hard as we should have because of the opportunity we've been given. And uh, uh, but on our our live shows, I mean, man, you never know what you're going to get. You know, it just depends on how much beer's involved. 
I mean, you know, one night, one night in Fort Worth, we got Trent drunk on something. I don't know what it was, but Southern that Comfort. show lasted. A, yeah, lasted three songs. It yeah. lasted three songs, <laughs> and it hurt. Yeah, uh, my all-time favorite was we were, and it was a fairly important show for us, and it was at the Troubadour in L.A. And oh Clint yes. Sat on the drum riser the entire time, eating potato chips. He didn't play a note that night. <laughs> he did. He had a bag of chips. He had. Where did the bag of chips come from? We're playing at the Troubadour, man. I, if I, dude, Spike Jones was there to see us. Ever, you know. I, I think that's probably what happened to us. Everybody gave up on us because of that. But who knows? Yeah. Yeah. It was. Hey, I had fun. Mm. Wow. I mean, somebody somebody bought me dinner that night. I hope. <laughs> so, what yeah, do you think it was like, I think 20, 20 years later, we get to do an interview. Kind of <laughs> yeah. People can go back easily now and listen to this record. So, <laughs> that's oh, kind yeah. of the, uh, the, the, the strange thing is now, like, I think it was Clint that said it, you know, you can go up on Spotify and kind of go back in time and revisit it. So, just in general, like, Man, how do you think it holds up in terms of like dude, contem- I it, contemporary music? Oh, man, I I listen to like I said. I mean, I, I would never press play on the record, but my girlfriend played it the other night, like just out of nowhere. And you know, when it was all said and done, I was like, dude, that's you know, I mean, did all I mean a lot of it was Mark. I mean, Mark Mark's little guitar things that kind of saved it, you know. Because, I mean, we were so rushed that we didn't have all, a lot of the dynamics worked out. And you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and, and Mark kind of was able to soften some of that up with, uh, with little guitar things that I'd never really even noticed until this last time. And, and you know, the record sounds good. Yeah, I think I like we might have done uh, been more successful had we come a little later. Yeah, like I said, our sound and our, our visually, and you know, Tyson's voice is very unique, and very. It might have been different because there's. I always kind of look at those early days of the alternative grunge movement. It was kind of a heavy metal hangover. The a band like we, I point out, we played with Ugly Kid Joe once, and oh my those God. people aren't gonna like the Chainsaw Kittens or the people that. You know, candle box or, or things like that. Um, you know, yeah. nowadays with some of the bands, you know, I think we could have been more in line with. Oh, I don't know. I listen to a lot of stuff my daughter listens to, and I'm like, you know, our, our sound in Tyson's voice probably could have. We just, I think it would have been easier for us to get by in, in today as opposed to what it was back then. You know, that's probably a pretty good analogy. I mean, I, it seems like a way more things are, are accepted now. I mean, we were kind of unique. Tyson's voice was unique. It was, you know, some, yeah, some thought mean, it was overpowering. The, the, you know, Senate, the, the Morrissey, you know, comparison. And I, yeah. I, I think that that's a fair assessment. Tyson would he'd hate you to say that now because I remember he, he didn't particularly like that label, but, but, um, (laughs) I think that's kind of a, a, that's kind of where, what it was. So 
tonight you're playing. Well, tonight we're recording, but Mark, you're playing with um, Tyson. What else are you? Are you still playing music on a regular basis, or is this sort of no, a I one-off thing? I play once about every ten years, and that's about it. <laughs> I, I don't play at all. Tyson just kind of contacted me out of the blue. Um, he's got a recording project he's doing. Uh, where he's recording with uh, Chinese students over, um, I believe he's in, out of Shanghai, and he's doing a sort of a fundraising event for that. So I, he, he just looked me up on Facebook, said, hey, you want to get up and play a few songs with me? And I said, sure. Uh, you know, I don't know how it goes. Uh, but like I said, I, I, don't, I don't play at all anymore. I never stayed active in music after the, the chainsaw, or I left the chainsaw kid. Are you planning on playing any songs from this album? Yes, I am. I'm playing Hold. So that's the reason I had to listen to the album, was to relearn <laughs> that song. Awesome. Cool. Hey, man, it, it should be said that in the years after the kittens, Mark like went to work for NASA and then was into rocket science and shit. So. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it, mm-hmm. Quitting music wasn't the end of the road for him. No, he's very, very smart. He used to bring math books home, and I'm like, uh, what the hell is this symbol? I mean, like, this is that yeah. kind of math. Just, like, way <laughs> beyond anything I've ever seen. He's an engineer. He, he, would, he would get along with Milo from the Descendants very well. Cool. That sounds like he's our like former it. drummer who would read HTML code books in the back of the van <laughs> oh, while, we were, while we were touring. <laughs> um, oh, my God. Yeah. Well, he was also the most drunk during the show, too. So there was a parallel there. Yeah. <laughs> or there's a weird dichotomy going on. Um, uh, what about you, Aaron? What have you been up to? I know you played, obviously, with um, For Love Not Lisa. Has there been stuff since then, between now and then? Oh, man. I, I played, well, Clint and I played in the Demon Seeds for, okay. I don't know how long it really, really ran. Uh, we were, man. It was it was an awfully fun band to play in, and you know I I kind of got twisted a little bit with drugs and I kind of fucked it up myself I think really, I mean at least I'm willing to take the blame because I mean I I think it was me yeah and since then I really haven't done much, uh, I mean I I work highway construction, <laughs> I don't I don't own drums or or anything like that. But, okay. But, well you know. Uh, I mean, I can still play. And then, Clint, after the bands that uh, Aaron mentioned, you have, you've started a website um, in the last couple of years, teenagewasteland.com, which has actually sort of, I don't, well, unintentionally sort of been an influence on us. Well, I was going to say it's teenagewastelandonline.com because the guy who owns teenagewasteland.com wanted $20,000 in that. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sitting on that one. Can you just talk a little bit about what what the website's all about? Because it's it's perfect for people who are listening to this website, I think, or listening to this you podcast. Know what it was? Yeah, it, what it was is like when we were in the kittens, we toured with a bunch of bands, and we brought up ones that are famous. And when Aaron and I were for Love Not Lisa, or whatever, we toured with tons of bands, we met tons of bands, South by Southwest, whatever. And I love these bands. I love this time in music. I thought it was great. They're, yeah. Just nobody knows who they are. And I would sit at work. I'm still in, technically in the music business. I worked for a promoter in L.A., and I worked in an agency before that, uh, a booking agency. Um, 
and nobody knew who these bands were. And I'm like, how the fuck are you in the music business and you never heard of Seaweed? Or how are you? How do you not know who Paul? I know. Is? You know. And, and so Paul. one day, I yeah, you know, I mean, I know they didn't know the bands I was in because we never, you know, we weren't big. I mean, the, the fact that you guys know who we are is pretty amazing to me because we just sell tons of records. But there's tons of those yeah. kinds of bands that see overwhelming color fast or who are. Over, yeah, overwhelming. Yeah, they're they're awesome bands, and they're great bands that yeah. people should hear. And you know, flop. flop them aren't around anymore. Yeah, flop. Just there was tons, uh, and so I just started building little pages about them and putting links to videos on YouTube because there are fans, you know. So if you can find a video and links to to their songs on iTunes if they're there or Amazon, and I just thought <clears> somebody <throat> to do something because. You know, they're all in the same situation we were in, and they all had label deals, and, and I don't know. I, I had this grand thing of, like, you know, these are just bands people should know, but nobody really cares, to be honest with you. I mean, if, if you're under our age group and you're trying to tell a kid, because I work, you know, there's all these interns coming in, and they'll see me wearing, yeah. uh, you know, a shirt of, like, you know, Adam West or somebody like that, anybody. They've never heard of and you go, you should check them out. And they're like, nah, and they don't care. Music's not the same as it was when we were kids. It's, it's just not. And I, I, yeah. I hate it, and it sucks, but it's just not. It's, there's too many other things for people to look at, be the internet, be, you know, 50,000 channels on TV. It it doesn't yeah. mean what it meant to us. I mean, I can remember going to Mark's house. Like I said, we've known each other since, what, ninth grade? Ninth grade. And he'd make fun of me because I like Molly Crew, my favorite band of all time. Guns N' Roses. I shouldn't have said that. But I fucking love them. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would, I yeah, would you fight shouldn't people that. if they said, if they said Guns N' Roses sucked, I'd be like, fuck you, it's on. I mean, I, I love them that much. Nobody does that anymore. It just, yeah. you know, when I started that side, I was like, maybe it'll help some of these guys. But, you know, I get 100, 150 hits a day. So if people check it out, they write me, it's cool. But I wish it was, I wish it was better because I know all these bands need to be, you know, somebody needs to hear them. Fuck yeah, man. Dude, I just watched a documentary on YouTube on, on uh, stoner metal, like, back in the early 80s and all that. And, like, all of these bands were mentioned that I, that have never been heard. But, I mean, dude, the music they made was amazing. You know what I mean? I mean, it's it's worth getting that out there. And it's a lot of, a lot of, I mean, we played with a lot of good bands. Well, we, I brought it up earlier, but uh, I think what's cool is that a lot of that music is becoming available. Uh, you know, we said like your album, uh, yeah, and a lot of different sources. And you know, one I think our mission is very similar to Clint's. Is you know, for those people out there, you know, we we basically have a global audience now. So if, if we can find you know a couple thousand people or whatever to go out and and be passionate and want to dig, you know, and find these bands, you know, it's 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 a way for us to uh, to dig them up and put them out there and give them uh, some context around. You know, if you like this band, you might like that band, and you know, have it live on. Oh, yeah. it's, it's it's sitting there waiting for people yeah. to find it. You know, it's not buried in CD CD racks anymore. You know, it's out there ready no. for somebody to hit play. So why not? A click away. A click away. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah and there's a lot of bands that there's a lot of bands that people. We didn't. We we knew them because we worked in college radio. While you guys were out touring, we were sitting in a college radio station, you know, fitting, flipping through 
500 records a week that we were getting sent by record labels trying to figure out yeah. what the hell are we going to fit into the you know in the playlist this week <laughs> and so many of those albums we missed and we've been able to go back and i think a lot of the people that listen to the show are the same way where they're like you know i kind of remember paw and i kind of remember bob goblin but i don't know what these bands actually sounded like and if we can yeah. you know throw out a few clips of songs and and talk about what we think of the album and hopefully it'll spur some people to be interested in in and you know seek out these records and a lot of them are showing up on spotify oh, yeah. now, so it is it's cool because people in australia write us about hey i just heard that new or i just heard that new episode and I, i'd never heard of such and such a band so thanks for introducing us and that's that's honestly the best part about doing this oh as well. yeah so, uh, i'll throw i'll throw one out there that's not on um because I, I love this band, and I think it influenced being from Oklahoma and, and being kids. These guys weren't much older than us, and they're not on Spotify. I don't know why they're on Iron Records. I think the Buck Pets were one like just so far oh, yeah. before their time. They weren't great. Yeah, the Buck Pets. They were cool, and but they were rocking. Man, you guys listen. Never. Check out the Buck Pets. So, I think yeah, I have. That's one of my favorites. I think I have either the self-titled album or the one of the other ones. I've got to check my... Their I have a whole... One. Yeah. And, and I first one the Yeah, you tell people to listen to it, and like I said, they're not the greatest musicians at the time, but at the time, to us, to, to this group of people, they were amazing. And so... Yeah, that back, a, I think it's like, their image. Their image yeah. is what really got it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but like, you go back and you listen to... Even like bands that I loved as a kid, you go back and you listen to them, and you're like... It's not the greatest record of all time, but there's the nostalgic part of it. So it's hard to push. That's what I'm saying. We're talking to kids. You go, you check out the Buck Pets and listen to it. They go, yeah, not that great. But they really were that great. Yeah. You just weren't there. Yeah. They were that great. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Jay, got anything else? No. Was, all right. I had a good time. I hope you guys had a good time. And Yeah. I yeah. appreciate it. it was, man, it was interesting. I, uh, hey, Mark, I'm going to try to be there tonight, man. What time? What time's that whole thing kicking off? I think about ten. I'll be there. No shit. All right, yeah. man. Well, they don't let me smoke in that place anymore, so I'll 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 step in and see you, and, <laughs> and uh, then go out and sit with All the right. criminals. <laughs> nice. Uh, thank thank you for doing this, and hey, hey, Mark, thanks for doing this with me because I, I probably. Oh man, this is great. Yeah, thank hey, you guys man, I get a so to much. To Mark and Clint together, I get. Hey, this is a once in a lifetime. I mean, Mark and I probably don't live twenty miles apart, and I never see him. Yeah. So it's, it's good to it's good to talk to him. Skype is responsible yeah. for all this. You guys should all sign up for Skype, and then you'll have uh, you can do this every weekend. No doubt, man. Well, I should. <laughs> you know, to, to be honest, when when we don't talk during the summer that much, but when Oklahoma football starts, we text back and forth. Yeah. Guys, piss me off. I mean, it's so we we do oh. keep in contact. It's just, it's just <laughs> right now. It's oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, Sooners. We're in Columbus, cool. but we're so not that, Ohio that, State fans, so don't. Yeah, don't worry. Uh, neither of us are uh, neither of us are Columbus uh, residents originally, so we're, neither of us are uh, all that concerned about Ohio State and their. And we, although they do have Urban Meyer now, so I might actually watch uh, an offense that's not rooted in. 1940s uh, I formation. Uh, yeah, I formation. Yeah, and, and, and have a yeah, and punting seven foot down. quarterback. We're not running yeah. the wing T anymore, so we can uh, actually uh, we can actually be a, a 
a team that scores more than seven points per game and be interesting. Um, (laughs) Once again, guys, thank you so much. Thank you to Aaron. Thank you, Mark. Thank you, Clint, for joining us. Everybody head over to, like we mentioned, Spotify, this record. You can uh, give it a listen, and they will um, send some, I think it's percentage of a penny that you guys get. (laughs) I'm sure you're seeing the Spotify you know, cash uh, rolling yeah, in. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not really, but that's all right. But hey, I don't want a penny. You guys just listen. You know what I mean? All right, Absolutely. guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, guys. Right, and right, uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We are out. See you next week on another episode of Dig Me Out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening.